Sober Life podcast. We have a an awesome show for you today. Um, our guest is he's a published author. He's a public speaker. Um, my gosh, went to Oxford University. I mean, just just the guy. And now he spends all of his time helping addicts like us. That's that's his thing. That's his call. Um, helping helping addicts live their life to the fullest potential. Uh, he's the founder and CEO of the Rob Kelly Recovery Group and uh, is no other than Dr. Rob Kelly. Dr. Kelly, thank you. Thank you so much for joining us. How are you, sir? I'm amazing today. Eli, thank you for so much for having us on the show. Hey, guys, strap in. We're ready for a ride. You ready? Uh, you know what? It's like we're getting on a roller coaster. I already feel it in my stomach. I already feel it. Yay. <laughs> uh, this is going to be great. Uh, Dr. Kelly, you know, and, and like any other interview, I mean, I, I hate to take you back, but, um, you know, I've just, I've read a few things. We've talked about a few things. Uh, you know, you have such an interesting story, such a story. And can you tell us a little bit about your background, just kind of going back a little bit, growing up and, and becoming an adult and all that good stuff? Yeah, sure. I am obviously, I'm born in uh, East Dallas. I'm just joking. I'm born in uh, Manchester, United Kingdom, um, and uh, a working, well, lower working class family. We live on the projects, uh, council estates. We have government uh, funded uh, housing, and, and my dad used to dig holes in the road for the gas company, and my mom used to clean other people's houses. Not a lot of money around, <laughs> but a lot of love in that house, obviously. Took my first, I was a musician for early on. My, my family's musicians. My auntie and uncle were playing regularly every Friday, Saturday, Sunday night in nightclubs and, and bars. So when I was the age of nine, uh, they asked me to go and play bass with them. And it was just amazing. But that's when I took my first drink because of nerves. I started a stage, a few hundred people there. And I remember one day, Liverpool, bar, a, a pub in a bar in Liverpool, UK, uh, I took that first drink and the whole world changed for me right there. So... Uh, from there, you know, I went through normal school. I always wanted to be a professional musician. I wanted to be a rock star uh, and I could play, you know, if I'm going to do something, I have the addictive personality as well. So if I'm going to do something, I'm either all in or I'm all out. There's no half measures. I've never played basketball, guys. I, so Come on, play. Nope. Why? Never played it. Don't know how to play it. Yeah, well, you can learn. Nope. Too old for that. You either do something or we don't. And, and you'll see that pattern as we go through today's show. You'll see the all or nothing mentality that most alcoholics and addicts have. It's just most of them is bad, but we can change that using neuroscience uh, into that good, successful, whatever success looks like for you. But yeah, normal school, went to college. Nobody in my family went to college, but listen, I'm an alcoholic, okay? And I have the mind of an alcoholic and the alcoholic mind and brain are very, very clever. So I hung around the right guys in school. I met up with a, a guy whose dad was a Freemason. So at early age, I was playing organ in the Freemasons, which is very, very, very secretive in, in the UK. It's not like over here. Uh, so I got into Oxford because of that. I was stu I used to play in bands most of my life. And then one day somebody said, hey, the Strawberry Studios, which is just outside Manchester, 10CC owned it at the time. They're looking for a session bass player. And I'm like, what's a session bass player? Like, you know, you play the tracks that the bass player can't make. And I'm like, whoa, okay, I, I, I can do that. I can read music. So you have to remember, Eli, that we, we were packing in, back in the day, 300 pounds worth of equipment 
into a $100 car to drive two hours and maybe earn $10 and then get up at two o'clock in the morning. That, that, that's, that's a musician's life. It's just the way it is. So I went for this audition and got it at the Abbey Road, uh, sorry, uh, Strawberry Studios. And they paid me like 10 times the amount for an hour. And I'm like, whoa, I know where to go with this. So eventually end up at Abbey Road, uh, bass player, played with Queen, and John, David Bowie, all them great guys, and put myself through college. But the drinking was always a problem, and eventually it killed me. And people go, oh, oh, yeah, we'll get into that story later, but alcohol actually killed me. I was dead on the road for a minute or two. Oh, my gosh. So, you know, <laughs> and, and again, hanging out with the right guys and knowing the right people, I mean, my goodness, hanging out with Bowie and those kind of fellas. Uh, did you get into drugs and all that good stuff? I mean, that was kind of their thing in those days, correct? Well, if, if you didn't, and this is honest, guys, and when I grew up and, and in the studios I hung around, if you didn't drink alcohol or take drugs, they didn't trust you. It's just the way our mentality was. And that was, you know, I was in gangs in Manchester. I was in one of the most notorious gangs called the Quality Street. Did some nasty things, uh, you know, did all that. But, you, you know, if I was to go up and say, hey, I don't drink or don't use drugs, then I wouldn't have been trusted in certain places. Well, obviously you finished school. Uh, what happened after that? What happened after you got out of school? Well, peer pressure from the Freemasons, most of them were police officers, high-ranking police officers, so I got a job in the police force. Uh, I only lasted about six months, didn't even finish my probationary period of 12 months, and they fired me for being drunk on the job. Which I, by this time, I'm, I'm almost drunk every day, you know, but not crazy drunk, just I liked a few beers every single day in the morning. So I got fired from there, uh, worked at this commission-only, uh, like a selling mass space and selling radio space and selling, you know, uh, tele well, back in the day, it was Army and Navy sites with the big, big masts. We, we started selling those. And again, going back to the mind and the brain of an alcoholic, an addict is very, very smart. So after about two or three months doing that, I decided to create my own company doing that. So I stole all of the contacts I had and I set up a company that was was doing amazing. So, so that's what we did. But, you know, during that amazing, million dollar company that I was running and created came the mask of my alcoholism. But because I was earning, driving the cars, living in the house on the hill, you know, eventually got married, had two children, all it was masked by look at me, look at me, see what I can provide. And in that house, Eli, I gotta tell you, it was absolutely mayhem. Things oh. happened in the house that when I share about them, I still feel embarrassed. For instance, I'm coming downstairs at 2, 2.30 in the morning and I know there's a drink in the house because I need a freaking drink and that's just the way it goes. And I comes down, my head's banging. I'm looking around the kitchen and I find half a bottle of vodka. I'm like, nice. So I'll put it on the counter for a second. I'm not drinking out the bottle. Not an alcoholic, so I turn around to get a crystal glass. So I've got this Westford crystal glass and as I turn around back to the bottle, the wife had followed me downstairs and she snatched the bottle off the side. And she said to me, Eli, I think you've had enough. I've been drinking for days. I have a board meeting in literally four hours time. I should have said, thank you, Mrs. Kelly. Gone back to bed and slept. What I did was took a kitchen knife out and stabbed her three times. Then I finished my bottle of vodka, went to the door where the phone was and called a taxi and then called an ambulance. And when I heard the ambulance in the background, I jumped in the taxi and I fled to Spain. So I won't get arrested. That's the kind of life I was leading. Wow. Wow. So 
Wow. <laughs> that's, that's amazing. Um, I'm guessing you and that particular wife might have broken up after that situation. Just, I mean. Yeah, good guess. How did you guess? I, was I, I don't know. I mean, I've, I've done a lot of things to, to ladies in my life, but yeah, I've never stabbed one three times. Yeah, it was, uh, it was, I stayed there for three months in Spain until we finally, she decided not to press charges and I got a letter off an attorney saying so. So I came home. But when I came home, it's this beautiful house, hoping to pick up as if nothing had happened. This one trait of alcoholics and addicts. Uh, she had a suitcase packed and she said to me, Rob, I'll love you to the day I die, but you're not going to kill our children. Because I'd fell down the stairs on them. I've left them in cinemas while daddy goes for a drink 20 miles away. And at the ages of one and three, you know, and she left and I was pissed. I, I still had that, do you, do you know who I am kind of thing? I'm a tough guy. I'm a bodybuilder, a martial arts expert. I'm a bot. I've done everything, you know. That's one of my traits, how to do it or don't, like I said. So I got him to my attorney, who we do a lot of business with, and I said, get my kids back tomorrow. I don't care. Otherwise, we're done. If you bring them back tomorrow, I'll have a nice check for you. And sure enough, he was in the courts first thing in the morning, and he got papers to bring my children back. So when I opened the door, there's my two kids, little tots, one and three. I gave him a check. I walked him into the, the front room. I sat him down in front of the TV. Now I'm, I'm about two days sober now, Eli, because I know the kids are coming home. So I put the kids there. I walked into the kitchen and I said to myself, wouldn't it be great just to have one drink to celebrate the children coming home? Two days later, when they kicked the door down, the police and the authorities, dad was in a stupor on the floor. The children had not been uh, changed, bathed or fed for two days. Uh, oh. I'd been going to the liquor store and back didn't even know anything about it. They took my kids off me. They served me with unfit father papers. And as I staggered to my feet, I saw the child protection there, the child services, the police there, her, she's there, the mother-in-law's there. And uh, they picked the little girl up. <clears throat> Grandma picked the little girl up and walked out. And my wife grabbed hold of uh, Charlie, Charlie, Charlotte, and walked her out the door. I stumbled to the door. I'm crying. They're crying. The police, one of the police officers crying, which is still fine word. And then what happened was this. <clears throat> As she's walking down the path and I stagger to the door, she turned around and says, Daddy, Daddy, please don't leave. And then she gets halfway down the path. She turns around again and says, Daddy, Daddy, please get better. And then she gets to the gate. They open this big iron gate of the house we lived at. And she turned around one more time and she said, Daddy, Daddy, please stop drinking. And I couldn't do it. I could not. Wow. Dr. I, Kelly, that's, that's amazing. And, and my heart goes out to that. And obviously you have pulled out of that situation. What, what is it? What is it that brought you out of, out of those kind of, kind of depths? Two things that happened to me that changed my whole life 30 something years ago. Two things that changed it completely. One was while being homeless one night in the back end of Manchester where the factories and offices are, no human beings around there, it's two o'clock in the morning. Fall down to my hands and knees in the pouring rain and I started to cry like a baby. I wasn't crying because I'd lost my houses, wife, kids, or anything like that. I was crying because the first time in my life, life after 14 months on the streets, I realized I couldn't stop drinking. I looked up to the sky as an atheist because I'd been molested by my priest. And I said to this guy, if there's a God up there, I can't do this on my own anymore. 30 seconds-ish later, the guy walked around the corner. He had a little Bible in his hand. He missed his last bus home from Bible study, and he came upon me. He says, do you want help? Are you okay? And I said, no, I'm dying. 
this is seven suicide attempts. Like I said, on two occasions, I died and they brought me back to life again on the street. He took me back to his house and he said, Rob, you can stay here for as long as you want. You've got to come to these AA meetings with me. Well, I hated them meetings. I've been there before, but I went because I had a dry bed for the night. And I went to next night, we went to the AA meeting, showing off all the crap starts as it usually does. Halfway around the circle, this guy said, my name's John, I'm a recovered alcoholic. And I went, what, what did, Derek, what did he just say? He said, he's recovered. Like, can't be, but he talked from that book and he talked and, and he said things that were in that book that everyone said, there's no way. They kept shaking their heads and he was in the book. So after the meeting, I walked over to him. I said, John, my name's Rob. I'm just sober, man. Will you sponsor me? And he said, no. He said, but I, what I will do is I'll be a spiritual advisor for 12 weeks. I walked to that man's house, Eli, every Wednesday night. I left Derek's at six, got there for seven. We stayed till eight and I walked home. I got home at nine o'clock. I did that for 12 weeks. After the 12 weeks was finished, he said life would change and it did the very next day. I got a job from Derek's factory. Two or three weeks later, I got my first pay packet. I went back, I bought John a little card and a little teddy bear from the gas station, it's all I could afford. I wrote John, thank you for introducing me to God because he took the compulsion to drink away. Went back to his house, he like, got there, the apartment, there was nobody there. I knocked on the door, nobody there. The right-hand lady came out and she said, can I help you? And I said, yeah, where's John moved to? He said, John. I said, yeah, John, here, neighbor. I've only been here three months and there's been knowing that apartment for three months. So I let her close the door thinking she was drunk or silly. And I knocked on the left-hand door and this big guy came. He said, what do you want? I said, can you tell me where John's relocated to, please? And he said, John, John who? I said, John, you freaking neighbor. What's wrong with you guys? And he went on to tell me that the door I was knocking at, the inside was derelict. There's no floor, drops down to the apartment below. And you're not allowed to go in there, it's derelict. I thought they were both crazy, Eli. And I walked back to the meeting a couple the next day and I saw the guy who was sharing. He goes, hey, Rob, how, how you doing, man? I said, oh, thank God, you recognize me? Oh, Rob, good to see you. I said, does John still come here? And he said, John who? I said, the guy who was over the coffee machine speaking to him. And he replied, Rob, you was over near the coffee machine speaking to yourself. We've never found that man, Eli. Ever since that day, our success rate of getting people well is 97%. Other people's treatment centers, 5%. AA, 3%. He taught me stuff. And he, and he told me that God had told him to tell me to guarantee that people recover. We're the only company in the world to offer a money-back guarantee if you relapse. The only company in the world. But that's the journey, you know I mean? I'm just, I feel, I feel as if I know what I'm doing, you know? I've got to just preempt that Eli by saying, this is not a few patients. This is over 8,000 patients with over 30 years of me being in this industry. So we're the quiet boys. We never advertise. People come word of mouth. We work with movie stars, footballers. 25% of our work is pro bono for the people like me. But yeah, it's, uh, we're very aggressive. We want to say 100%, but there's one or two people that actually dropped out. No fault of ours. So Was John a figment of your imagination? Was John an angel? Of, what was John? What do, what do you equate John to being? Was he just part of your internal psyche talking to you? Well, for many years, I would not talk about it. And for 20 years, I never told anybody. Uh, but looking back now, seeing the miracles I've seen post with myself and other people I've worked with, seeing how my life has turned out, seeing that I, we teach stuff uh, nobody else is doing, including neuroscience, uh, 
and, and stuff like that uh, and the success rate. He was an angel. That's all. That's that's the idea I've come up with because, guys, I talk about stuff no one's even heard of. I talk about stuff lately that the medical fraternity only three or four years ago found out to be true, and that was neuroplasticity. We were talking about this 28 years ago, you know, and, and it's just like everybody's getting well. But people come to you by crazy. It's not coincidence. Let me give you, for instance, man and wife in the car. Uh, wife's driving, man's drunk. He needs help, keeps refusing to get help. She puts a radio station on and uh, with her country music on and he doesn't like it. He stumbles towards the radio, misses the button and hits a fast forward that lands on a podcast that I'm doing. That's how people come to me. They never just see me and go, hey, listen, it's the weirdest way. So I have this thing that I say is, you know, nobody sits in front of me by mistake. I wish I was this clever, but I'm not. This is all God's work, man. It's got to be. It's got to wow. be. That that's absolutely amazing. Uh, sounds like you found that higher power that we that we in the industry always talk about, and and I harp on that a lot because you got so many people that are trying to to get over this disease, be it drugs, be it alcohol, heck, be it gambling, whatever the cause is. But we have to realize we can't do it by ourselves. There's got to be something. No human power. Yeah, no human power can relieve my alcoholism. But God could have would. Now, I had a problem with the God word, obviously, because of my stuff I did in the church. I was a choir boy and got molested several times from my uh, priest and uh, choir master. But I was the last person to come to that. I hated that word completely. Took my kids off me. How can there be a God? But what you see in being, I'm 62 years old, so I had a pretty good life looking back. And what, what I found out is, like my 14 months on the streets, where I hated everybody, cried every night because of my children, that became a semester at Harvard University for me. You see, the stuff that God put me through, I was meant to go through. How can I sit in front of anybody today who's lost their kids, lost a divorce, you know, made a mess of their lives, nearly killed somebody, stabbed their wives, all this crazy stuff. How, how many people can sit there and go, oh, yeah, yeah, I did that as well. And they go, what? Yeah, yeah, I did that, yeah. Because you see the big house and the cars and the watches and the lifestyle. I mean, God, yeah, why don't you live this lifestyle? By the way, if you want to talk about that later, I'll get anybody can do that. I do. It's not rocket science, just a mind, the brain, and neuroscience. That's all it is. Why wouldn't you? But it's when you sit down with someone, then they don't think you can relate. And they go, you never had to fight for food. I'm like, guy, listen to me. I spent, I spent 12 months on the streets uh, after the first two months fighting, fist fighting. For, for a living to get money to buy food, or if I didn't uh, buy alcohol, and if I didn't, I'd steal it. But literally, I had all my teeth knocked out. I had my nose broken in two places. I got my back injured, my shoulder injured. Man, I was asleep one night on a bench. I was sharing with this guy. I woke up, he'd been stabbed to death for his sneakers. So when you get into that situation, it's like God's given me all these bases covered. There's nobody I sit next to and they say something, I go, oh my God, oh, wow, really? No. I go, yeah, I've done that, yeah. It's crazy. So when, when you look at your past life, you realize, guys, if you're on now, guys, and you're, and you're feeling the way I was, if you're in an apartment now with nothing, everyone's gone, left you alone, you never think you're good enough, and you never think you're amount to anything, I want to apologize to you guys because somebody has put that thought pattern there. Period. Don't ever think that you can't achieve your dream because they're lying to you, whoever told you that. Oh, don't be silly, Billy. You can never be a footballer. That's a lie. That's a downright lie. 
Oh, you can never go to college, Rob. Now, Mum told me. How many times have I told you, Robert, you can't go to college like you're pretty too stupid? Really? Yes, sir. So I went to the best college in the world. No? You can't, you can't come to America and national team. You can't be on Oprah. You can't be on... Really? Says who? And if you have that says who attitude, it's amazing what happens. Because every single person listening to this, you're not listening to this by mistake. You're listening to this because you have been picked today to be that leader that, that we're all screaming out to be. Oh, yeah, but not me, Dr. Rob. Yes, you. What do you think you've gone through? Why do you think you sat there lonely? Do you think it's just for fun? No, you're being educated to go and help people, to inspire people. How can you educate someone? You're going, oh, well, I've never had anything happen to my life, but I know what you're going through. I'm an alcoholic as well. Really? You need life experience, life college, life teaching. I went to two colleges. I went to five, but two PhDs from two. Southampton, which was about eight years ago, behavioral science and psychology. You know how much of that I use in my program? Really? About 2%. A lot of it is brain spotting, psychology, uh, sorry, a little bit of uh, neuroplasticity, neuroscience, but a lot of the streetwise stuff that I use. You see, if you tell people off enough you're a piece of shit, have a guess what? It's the basal ganglia. They're going to believe they're a piece of shit. If you keep telling people that they're going to make it and they're amazing and fantastic, and you watch them make it be amazing and fantastic, it becomes reality. So what's the difference between the truth and reality? Aha, that's the subconscious brain and the conscious brain. If you can live from the conscious brain, you can do anything you want to do. If you live in the subconscious brain, all the past pulling you back. You're just about to sign that deal, date that girl, buy that house, and all of a sudden you get dad in the background going, hey, told you how many times, you're a waste of time, you're useless, you're too fat. You... And that guy will make that decision, guys, not this well, conscious that brain. Is, I mean, it just makes perfect sense. Well, first of all, the medical fraternity tried to ruin me. By, by saying I was lying, didn't know what I was doing, didn't go to college, not really English. They threw everything at me and we kept going. I will never go to a doctor for my general health ever again, period. If I break my arm, I'm going to go to a doctor who's putting a path. My general health about what I do, what I eat, especially any addictions, I will never go to because they don't know what they're talking about. I challenge any doctor to, to cure me or relieve me of an illness without using a pharmaceutical drug. Can't do it. The body has everything to heal itself everything so they tried to disown me they tried to you know shout i i now because i kept going because i knew we we're onto something i now write for harvard university's psych hospital mclean's hospital i now teach scores of doctors and surgeons about the disease of alcoholism and addiction i write for magazines i speak at yale and oxford and stuff like that i'm the number one go-to doctor in the usa if you can't get well we ask you to go to treatment centers. So the methods were once crazy, like most methods are, Eli, when you come out and you do something, but now they're being locked up. We've been offered to buy out from other people about three times, not selling, not done my work yet. I've only worked with 8,000 people, want to work with 100,000 before I die. So I've got 30 more years, God, I'll be 103. Maybe then I'll be able to sit down, but right now there's work to do. So you can't, dis I, signed a, I signed a lease in our Dallas office, I'm in San Antonio. Uh, a couple of years ago for a million dollars. People freaked out. My friends were like, oh my God, Dr. Rob, how do you sleep at night, man? How do you sleep at night? My answer is, what are they going to do to me? That I haven't already done to myself. What are they going to do to me? Take the office back? What are they going to do? Cancel Christmas on me? There's nothing they can't do that I haven't already done to myself. So I'm taking them chances. I'm opening my mouth. I'm the guy on stage speaking that everyone's thinking, oh God, I wish I had the courage to say that. 
Because what happens when you meet somebody like me is really got nothing to lose. You want to take the millions of dollars I have? Take it. I don't care. Put me in a tent with my wife, my cat, and my two English bulldogs, and I live there for the rest of my life. I got nothing to lose. People are ignorant about alcoholism and addiction. And I don't mean addiction drugs. I mean any cake, food, sex. doesn't make any difference. Alcohol, listen, guys, real carefully. Alcohol has 1% to do with alcoholism and the same with drugs and the same with cake and the same with porn. It's not the problem. It's just the symptom. What is the problem? So sticking someone away for 30 days in the treatment center, and there are many that are amazing out there, but the ones I've seen are crap. Uh, you come out and you relapse. It's not going to keep you sober. Fear. Somebody, one of your friends dying of an overdose. It's not going to keep you sober. If you're a real alcoholic and addict that I'm talking about. So there has to be a change of circuitry in the brain. There has to be a spiritual experience. When, when the psychic change, uh, neuroplasticity changing your pathways, and a connection with Uncle Jamie, God, whatever you want to call it, your DNA changes. You are not the same person. So your treatment center, you're not that guy that, that drugs people up and drugs them into submission. How, how, do, you, how do you work your center? You can't cure or, or anything, uh, recover, treating a drug addiction with a drug. You know, you can't do it. So if, if, you're, if you're coming off heroin and you use Suboxone as a taper, for two, three weeks, a month at the most, I'm all over that. You can come in. You can, we will treat you doing that as long as we watch the taper with you. If you're on Suboxone two years after you came off heroin, guess what? First of all, the brain doesn't know the difference between pharmaceutical drugs and street drugs. Don't fool yourself. You're not clean and sober. Stop that shit. Okay, that needs to stop straight away. You're not. Okay, you've still got stuff inside your body that makes your brain, mind, and, and physique, and psyche change. So we're, we don't like people on drugs. Uh, here's the deal, Eli. This is what happens in, in, in the world. I feel depressed. And I say to my friend, I'm depressed, I'm a wife. And they go, hey, let's go to the doctor. He'll give you some pills for that. So I go to the doctor. Well, the doctor gives me because my serotonin is low. That's the definition in America, by the way. Serotonin, low dopamine, dollar equals depression. That's the, 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 uh, the dictionary explained that to us by, by, by sort. So I go to the doctor. He gives me an SSRI, which means... It's an inhibitor of uh, my uh, dopamine, serotonin, sorry, serotonin. And I take them first of my life and I feel okay. Okay. Now I need that tablet pill to feel okay. Why isn't anybody asking in the first place, why the hell is my serotonin low? We don't do that. Why don't we do it? Because the pharmaceutical companies run this world. If somebody can't stick you in treatment for 60 grand a month, or hook you on a pharmaceutical drug, whatever it is, they don't want to know. Well, you know, and you hear people talk about that all the time, that, you know, the pharmaceutical companies run everything because that's the reason we haven't cured anything in years because there's no money in the cure, but the money's all in the, in the treatment. Let's keep selling you, Correct. selling you drugs, which, you know, yes. Okay. I get it. You know, you're selling something you want to keep selling it, but Man, what, what does that do to the human being, especially when we're talking about addicts that are, that are very vulnerable people? Uh, they're susceptible Killing to anything. <clears throat> yeah. I mean, the bottom line is that they don't care, obviously. I mean, just look at the epidemics that's happening with pain meds. You know, uh, it, it's just crazy. Nobody cares all about the dollar. Nobody really cares about individual health. 
the amount of people that die for no reason and should never or lack of information is absolutely sickening when you find out what's going on. You should really find out what's going on. Like we researched it. It's crazy. Um, so yeah, you've got all these, all these pharmaceutical companies whacking out these pain drugs. Um, that's just, I mean, fentanyl now. Why, why do you come out of fentanyl? Oh, it's for cancer patients. Yeah, well, 20, 30 years ago, when my mom had cancer, method, you know, as some sort of methadone or something was fine for her. Why do we need something a thousand times more stronger? I'll tell you why. Money. Don't tell me anything else. I mean, pe people who know, know. You know, Eli. I know. Millions of people out there know, but there's nothing we can do about it. Because when they say jump, we say how high. And that's what I mean when I say I'll never go to, to a, a doctor for my general health in future. You know, I will just never go. I mean, here's, here's one thing you hear all the time from medical doctors. Well, you've got arthritis. Your family is passed down. Your family It's a family disease. Impossible to pass heart disease, arthritis, any other illness or disease. It's an impossibility to pass that down generation to generation. Only alcohol and anything else. No. Well, I have a bad heart. My dad had a bad heart. No. It doesn't work like that. And people go, what? Google this, guys. Google it. What's happening with their family tree? His grandfather had heart problems. So... Dad had heart problems, and now you have heart problems. It's not the problem or disease that's being passed down. It's the food, what we're eating, and the environment that we're in. You change your diet. You change something. My body, so let's say I have bad heart. There's something my body doesn't methylize properly when I'm eating something. It will have a reaction. So the reaction is generational to that, whatever that is, you know, to that, that sauce, that food, that's something I'm taking on a daily basis because it's in my diet because it was in my staple family's diet for the rest of their life. We need to look at that. The second thing we need to look at is oxygen. The presence of oxygen equals the absence of disease, period. And oh, let me explain. We only believe, we only breathe 25% of our lung capacity. Human beings are supposed to breathe 100%. So what happens is every single illness, every cancer, every inflammation always grows in a hypoxic area of the body, bar none. That's just, that's just fact. You can look that up. When oxygen is present, <clears throat> illnesses cannot grow any further than the audio because oxygenation kills them former diseases. So when I get up in the morning, I do 20 exaggerated breaths in and out. <laughs> get that oxygen in you, goes around to every cell of the body. You will go dizzy. Just like if you're giving raw oxygen, it goes dizzy for a bit. You will go dizzy by doing this every morning but you're getting oxygen to all parts of the brain. You'll think clearer, you'll act clearer, you'll, you'll perform better. All these things that happen by just breathing. So there's all sorts of these things that we're not doing, but the medical fraternity don't look at that. If you take this, then you can do this. Not true. I'm sorry, but that's not true. And there's been years and years, myself, Gary Brecker, all these guys out there that are researching this and finding out <coughs> the doctor's not always right. Question everything, guys. Wow. That, that is unbelievable insight. Uh, one of those things that some people think, but they never want to ask, and you, you're filling us in. Um, just to switch up a little bit. Well, I say switch up. We're already talking about um, uh, the Rob Kelly Recovery Group. Um, are, you guys, are you guys dealing with adolescents, young people, older people? Do you, do you have a demographic that you deal with, or is it just – Anybody that can pass the test that, that is willing. Yeah, there is, now there is an assessment that we always do before we take anybody, but it's, I mean, 10% of our workload right now is non-alcoholic or addicts. 
it's just a childhood trauma they're going through. They're not getting anywhere. They can't perform. They can't go any further in the career. All this stuff that happens to with childhood trauma, young, old, obviously under 16, parents, guidance, we do all that stuff, 18, 19, 100, whatever, and everything in between. So we treat most disorders, anxiety disorders, alcohol, drugs, depression. We treat most of them orders, uh, but you do have to pass an assessment. And what that means is I have to be convinced that I can work with you and you're ready to get well. No matter if it's depression or hardcore drug addiction, you have to be ready. I'm the guy that turned Britney Spears down in Dallas, Texas, Campisi's restaurant for a million dollars. That's how much her dad, Jamie, offered me. She came in late. She was drunk. I walked out. I can't work with her. This has never been about the money for me, Eli. It's about getting people well. What you can't do and has happened thousands of times is mommy and daddy bring a checkbook and put it in front of me and go, make, sign. I, I don't do that. Why would I do that? God would strike me down dead. You know, I have a gift. I can't do anything else. I choose two things, play guitar, any musical instrument I can play and get people well. I can't fix my engine in the car. I can't paint the wall. I, I don't know how to do that. I know two things and I stick within them two things that I'm good at. All or nothing, guys, again. It's the only two things I can do. So if I know I can get you well, I'm going to 100% guarantee I'm going to get you well or to the place you need to be. And if I can't, then I'll pass on. Yeah, we've, we've passed on crazy things, Eli. Promises, also important people, parts of the government. I, I, he's not ready. Yeah, but yeah, but yeah. He's not ready right now. Well, I heard everything I needed to hear when you said you passed on Britney Spears for a million bucks. <laughs> that tells me a lot about yeah. you and your practice. Yeah, yeah, you know, it's, uh, we just we just won't do it. We're onto something, and I've been for years. Now we deal with high-profile people at the moment, like you know, mega A-list actors, footballers, you know, musicians. That's kind of our bread and butter. But we always uh, pop back. We always give back. Every every person must carry a pro bono, and amount of money from every monthly intake that we take, twenty percent of that has to go back out to the community. Uh, for helping people. So if you're a one-parent family, it's trying to get your kid back. So if you're a dad just come out of treatment, you moved into a halfway house, you want to start seeing your kids, but the judge said you can't right now, we'll pay for that attorney. We'll buy you that suit. We'll pay 12 months for your rent on that little apartment you want. We'll get you ready to go. That's what we spend our money on. And that's my and my wife's money that's left over. The Rob Kelly Foundation uh, was born to do million times that what we do, you know, uh, because at the bottom of the day, uh, I just want to help people. I want to see people do better than me. You see, if I hadn't seen such riches, Eli, I could live with being poor. I really could. But like God wants us to be prosperous. God wants us to, you know, whatever prosperous looks like. It doesn't always mean money, guys. This is what I always thought and fell into this trap that if I only got my first million, and if I only got the next two million, it's like it, it, it was never good enough. I was, I was never there. I was never, never satisfied. I was driving to work in Dallas in a brand new 911 turbo, going to brand new offices in Highland Park, paying 10 grand a month. I was, the, I was the miserable person in the world. Money does not buy you happiness. Now, I've been rich and I've been poor, guys, and I choose rich every time. Don't get me wrong. But it doesn't buy you happiness. What buys me happiness is seeing the parents call me and say, oh, my God, you've saved my son's life. Seeing the wife call and say, oh, my God, what are you doing? My husband is a different person. That's my paid in full. That's why I do it. I have staff. I have offices. I have bills. I don't get involved with that side. That's the, that's the other. I don't get involved with that stuff. I want to save as many people as possible. That's the bottom line. Yeah, so I'm, I'm leaving the house, beautiful house. 
uh, $9,11, $170,000, offices that cost at least ten grand a month. I've got the Rolex on, I've got the shoes on the car. I'm looking pretty good. I'm the best of the best, man. Coming from the projects and homelessness, I'm doing pretty good. As I'm driving to work, I'm the saddest person in the world. I'm depressed. I just hate my life. So I know money doesn't buy happiness. It's an inside job, you know, and nothing will make your heart and soul happier than helping another human being, and I do that today. Man, God bless me with it with a lot of money, and I give a lot of money away. I bless somebody monetary every time I leave my house. I don't care what it is. And if I don't have the money on me, I'll do something else to give a service to that person. I'll compliment three people. I'll do, do these things that I do every single day. Because you can make somebody's day. And people, you know, I feel, oh, it's not that easy. Guys, try this. Next time you're going to build up area of people, sneakers are always best. Look at somebody passing you with good sneakers on. And go, hey, man, nice sneakers. Four words. Hey, man, nice sneakers. He'll go, oh, thanks, man. As he walks past you, turn around and watch it. He's going to look down at his sneakers at least two times, maybe three times. Now you've changed his day. Now he goes on to the girlfriend or wife because he's in a good mood. Now she's in a good mood. Then mother-in-law calls and it just goes on and on and on. For what? Four words? Hey, man. Yeah. Nice you know, sneakers. And, and you make it sound so simple because it really is. It really is. It's just us getting out of our own way, getting out of our own head. And doing it. I was telling somebody, in fact, this morning that one of my favorite things to do is go buy one gift on Christmas Eve. One gift. Now I've already got everything done, but I go buy one gift simply because there's something about swinging over to the mall and who cares that you got to park, you know, half a mile away, whatever. But when you get inside that shopping center, that mall, that, that Target store, whatever, Everybody is so happy. Everybody's speaking to each other. They're saying Merry Christmas, complete strangers. And this guy might be a knucklehead any other time of the year, but it's something about that. And that just kind of does it for me. That's, that's my own Christmas gift to myself. Not to get off track here, is there anything else that you want to share with us about the Rob Kelly Recovery Group? I mean, you guys sound like you're doing amazing work over there. You're doing, uh, you're, you're doing, leading work, you know, new stuff. You're, you're not getting into the status quo. Um, no. I mean, we can't do it. It's all neuroscience, it's all new stuff, late stuff, brain spotting, uh, you know, changing neural pathways, uh, NRP, NLP, uh, psychology. We, we do everything. So, no, man. And the only thing I'd say on that is if, if you are struggling uh, and, and we, we, don't, we don't want you as a patient, believe it, we've, we've got enough money, you've got enough patients right now, but if you ever want help or anything, guys, just call us. We have, we have a couple of ladies there who will speak to moms and dads or cost you anything, man. You can call up every single day, mom and dads. We'll worry about your children. You can call every single day and spend hours on the phone with our guys. We don't care. We're here to help. We're a family business. Me, my wife, my sister, my brother-in-law, my niece, and Charlotte Kelly, who the last time I saw was three years old, got in contact with me four years ago on Messenger. We flew down there. We hugged her, her door. She'd set me inside. She handed me my three-month-old granddaughter. And as of 16 months ago, she became my lead therapist in my Manchester office in the UK. So we are literally, traditionally, a family business trying to help your oh, family. My. That's all it that is. is. That is absolutely heartwarming, Dr. Kelly. Absolutely heartwarming. And this is your granddaughter, correct? Yes, my granddaughter, who I speak to most days. And... Yeah, it's just, it is. I remember that the one that happened, Eli, you know, on this, on the, I'm not seeing her for 28 years or something, but on the doorstep, 
before we knocked on her door, I was so nervous. All the bad thoughts came back. What a bad father you are. Where was you? And she opened the door unexpectedly. And uh, obviously we hugged, we cried, we laughed. And then she walked me in and she, she said, I've got something to show you. And I thought it was a painting or something. And she handed me my three-month-old granddaughter. When she did that, I said, I said to God quietly, if you want to take me now, I'm fine with that. Because everything that I had worked for and helped people and struggled. I got my, I got my house in Dallas when I first moved there 18 years ago, 16 years ago. It got, it got foreclosed on because I was working people and nobody would give me, nobody would help me. I was working people free of charge. But right there and then I knew that I was doing something right and I knew that I'd been blessed by God. Uh, and it was more of a, yeah, you're doing great work. Carry on. There's more to come. And there was more to come. Uh, you, you've there definitely inspired me. Uh, before we go, uh, tell us about your nonprofit that you have going on. So we discovered about four months ago, hey, why don't we do a nonprofit? Uh, so we did. You know, we started nonprofit 501c3. Uh, uh, and we've only done, we only started going about six weeks now. So we've probably got about $400 in there. But uh, we wanted to do something different because you give to charities and you don't know where it goes and mostly spent on management and blah, blah, blah. So we come up with this. If you send us $25 and donate $25, we get your information. We say a thank you. But what happens with that $25 is we might help somebody who needs something. Yeah, we need something for the child. Might need diapers for the children. Uh, that person we donate, we ask them to contact you and tell you, thank you for the $25. I've just spent it on a little photo of the diapers. So you know where every, every single cent is going. You know, you will always know when your money is. If you want to do a million dollars, you'll get a photograph of the treatment center we're going to build. You know, we just, we just want to pass it on the help. Nobody in the foundation gets paid. I know what a nonprofit, nobody gets paid. Nobody gets paid. You can't take a dime. Now, most people work on that four or five hours a day within our group. You don't get paid for that. This is done for you putting back. And if you keep putting back into the foundation with hours and love, you'll get repaid that tenfold with money. And we bonus people like crazy at the end of the year to say thank you for helping somebody else. And that bonus comes out of my pocket, my wife's pocket. This is, I can't express it not about the money. It's about how many, because you know something, Eli, when I get to heaven at the end of it, when it all finishes right, I get to heaven and the gates open, you know, and, and St. James is there or God's there or whatever. I know one thing God isn't going to ask me. He's not going to ask me how big my car was or how much did my house cost. He's not going to, going to ask me how big was that Rolex and what was that nice Louis Vuitton shirt you were wearing. Do you know what he's going to ask me, Eli? How many yes. people did you help? And I want an answer for that. I want an answer for that. And I'm prepared for an answer for that. Well, it sounds like and that's all I want. It sounds like you're going to have a big says, answer for that. Says who? Boom! Yes, sir. Bye, <laughs> uh, Dr. Kelly, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, is there anything else that you want to share with us? I mean, you've shared so much of your heart and soul and where you've been, where you've come from. Uh, gosh. I'll tell you what I'd, I'd like to share with the, with the viewers and listeners is this. You want to change your life from tomorrow, guys? Follow this. This will change your life from tomorrow. Uh, your pathways will change, bad habits will go, success will come, but it starts with this. Tomorrow morning when you get up, one of the reasons why no human being has ever woke up laughing from a sleep is lack of oxygen. So between the hours on a normal circadian rhythm sleep, between the hours of two and five is when most people's body goes into the lowest. The breathing is low, the repair has started, the repair is going through the night. 
It's also, most people die of natural causes between them two hours. That's how low the body is. So when you get up in the morning, let's flood it with oxygen. Start with 10 exaggerated breaths in. As soon as you get up, stand up, hold onto the bed because you will go dizzy. Otherwise, you're not doing it properly. Start with 10. Let's get the oxygen around. Once you've done that, I want you to walk into the bathroom. I want you to stand six foot away from the mirror. Because when we look at the mirror, we'll do this, don't we? Look in the mirror, see all the blemishes, especially women putting makeup on. This image of you in the mirror is what you think people see. So you think people see all your blemishes. They don't. But how many times you go in the office and go, hey, Jimmy, how you do? You don't do that. So when you stand six foot away, all the blemishes go. It's an optical thing. And I wanted to say, I love you 10 times. Keep looking yourself in the eye. No other affirmations that store that subconscious brain. When you've done that, if you brush your teeth with your right hand, do one week left, one week right. One week left, one week right. Your life will change. Dr. Kelly, absolute amazing insight. And you know what? You know what I'm going to be doing tomorrow morning, right? Oh. I'm going to fill the airbags up. I'm going to fill the airbags up. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, it, it's, a, it's a game changer. It really is a game changer. Oxygen, and I don't mean that, you know, not, let's breathe. Let's, no, when you intake oxygen to that level, it, it changes our entire body, psyche, brain, mind, and everything. Remember the, 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 uh, the saying, mind over matter? The mind, matter is the brain. The mind is energy. You can touch this, feel the brain. It's matter. You can't see, touch, feel the mind, but the mind runs your day when you wake up. So if you make your mind up to have a great day, what happens is the mind releases the energy that the neural pathways pick up and certain parts of the brain, the basal ganglia, hypothalamus, and the amygdala, for instance, and you will have a great day if you make your mind up first thing in the morning. So don't think this is your lot, guys. Don't think that when you wake up, this is as good as it gets. No, tell your mind it is. Tell your mind what you want to do that day. Absolutely awesome. We will take you. We will take you on that. Uh, you know what, Doctor? Uh, like I said, you've inspired me, and I hope you've inspired our listeners. Um, again, Doctor Rob Kelly, Rob Kelly Recovery Group. Uh, you can also find him at Rob Kelly, and that's R O B B Rob Kelly dot com is your website. Thanks again for joining us, and uh, look forward to seeing you again after the first of the year.